This is the Leapcast, where we talk about how today's current events impact your real life. If you are tired of politics or you are just exhausted from the spin, this show is for you. My name is Andrew Lieb, and every week I host a talk radio show breaking down the news from an independent point of view. We discuss real estate, business, and your health. Hear from the experts and learn the truth on the Leapcast. Sundays at noon on 103.9 LI News Radio. Personal coach and trusted attorney, Andrew Lieb. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Liebcast. We are super, super duper excited. We have a special guest today that's going to go over actually something I wanted to come talk about, Lauren. But more importantly, he's going to talk about who he is. Like who he is is what matters. You know, we broadcast in Long Island. This is. Uh, uh, radio show first and foremost. Yes, we have the Leapcast podcast that's nationwide, but we're on the radio. So I said to myself, who would have their finger on the trigger as far as Long Island real estate development, the future, more than the Long Island Business News real estate guy? This is David Wenzelberg. He's the man. He's on the line with us. But that's not how the conversation started, Lauren. The way it started is Lauren and I have been very, very, very impacted by COVID. We've been Business-wise, family-wise, it's a thing. And we volunteered for Novavax trials, and we just got our blood taken again. It's amazing how sometimes when they take my blood, they do it. No pain, can't feel it. The other times, I feel like I'm going to faint. I don't know if you have this problem. I think it's my left arm is better than my right. But David wrote this piece in the Long Island Business News, and he wrote it under the opinion section, which I thought was kind of interesting. He wrote about his own experience. It's called fighting to breathe with my COVID compadre. And I, it really touched me. And I thought people, before we even get into real estate and who you are and why you're the man, David, I just wanted to go over your experience. You met, and it's not his real name, you say, but this guy, Manuel, when you were in Huntington Hospital fighting for your life for COVID. Tell me what happened. Yeah, uh, Manuel, uh, which is not his real name, uh, was my roommate when I got to the COVID ward. Uh, and he had been there almost 30 days already in the hospital. Um, he, I was very surprised. Uh, he was in good spirits. I mean, I was, I was miserable and I, I only ended up being there a week. Um, but the, the reason I wrote this piece was because, um, you know, he's uh, from Mexico and he's an immigrant here. Uh, and he's having a, a, a pretty rough time uh, with COVID and, you know, Latinos and Hispanics in general, uh, have been hit the hardest as a, as a, as an ethnic group with COVID. Um, and I, I, I put that in my piece, you know, some statistics about that. But um, the reason I wanted to write it was because while I was in the hospital, I spent a lot of time talking to Manuel, um, even though uh, he didn't speak English at all and didn't understand a word of English. And I leaned on my Google Translator to uh, help me out with my rudimentary Spanish, and, and we were able to communicate. And he was just a very interesting guy. And um, I learned a lot about his life. And, uh, and, and, and what he does. And, uh, and so it was just interesting. And people like Manuel are, are pretty much invisible on Long Island, even though they keep a lot of the things running that we rely on. Um, but, you know, they work in, um, in jobs that are, um, you know, pretty much um, not high paying jobs and, and not high profile jobs. He, he works in restaurants and, and, and country clubs and, and places where people enjoy good meals. But, you know, you never see him because he works back in the kitchen. Um, he's also worked on East End farms and, and these kind of people, you know, they don't, they, they don't show up when, when, uh, you know, when you're talking about Long Island and, and stuff like that. So I just wanted to tell his story. 
And I loved it. Yeah, I, I loved it. And I wanted to say some of those statistics you mentioned just so it can really, really be crystallized. You write, in New York City, where Latinos make up 29.1% of the overall population, Hispanics, Latinos have a COVID case rate of 5,288 per 100,000 compared with 3,873 per 100,000 for African Americans and 3,726 per 100,000 for Caucasians. And you're saying that they have nearly double, nearly double Hispanics, the death rate in New York City than Caucasians. This is some serious stuff. And as you just alluded to, it's not just about the health concerns, which is a major problem. It's about their economic concerns as well, because a lot of these jobs, as you said, are in the hospitality industry. And I was just watching this, this, this segment that you did, and you, were, you did on the Long Island Main Street Alliance, and you were talking about the commercial real estate segment in Long Island. And what I heard you say is hospitality is getting hit, hospitality is being hurt. You mentioned you broke down some segments, and I heard hospitality was on the bottom of the list as far as it's going, because after all, imagine owning a bar when you can't have gatherings. Yeah. So yeah, it's not just the it's just the it's the bars, it's the restaurants, it's also the hotels, um, um, and country clubs and places that have events. Uh, they're just starting to open that up again now, but um, you know it's been shut down pretty much for a year. A lot of them have closed, and and Hispanics make up twenty two percent of the workforce for the hospitality industry, and probably even more on Long Island. That's a national number. So um, they really did get hit hard uh, economically in the pandemic. I mean, Manuel's been out of work for many many months. And, um, you know, he, he used to find work pretty regularly and, uh, and, and now he, he just has no work. So it's been, it's been very tough. So not only, um, you know, medically, uh, COVID has, has disproportionately affected, um, his community, uh, but also economically. And it's been devastating. I thought it was important when you just explained hospitality to people because, I grew up, I, I've said this on the show before, with my family being involved in the motel business, and I was a, a little maid in the motel business for some time. But the hospitality industry is so broad, and people that aren't in the industry don't see that breath. You were explaining that we're not just talking bars. We're not just talking restaurants. We're talking about hotels, too. And those are neglected, as well as private clubs. And there's so much to this industry. And as you've said, it's been shut down for almost a year. And beyond hospitality... I've noticed, I don't know if you have, the retail segment's not doing too hot either. Yeah, um, that's true. I did a story back in September uh, called The Year the Music Died for LIBN, and it was about all of these smaller clubs and venues that have live music on Long Island. Um, and they just, you know, their business is ground to a halt, uh, not just with, the, uh, with COVID, but with all the statewide, um, you know, mandates of, of of closures and shutdowns and limited limited amount of people and and music has to be incidental you can't even advertise music so i did a piece on that and, and it hurts a lot of people it's, it, and it's not just you know the couple of people that might work in that bar or might work in that in that venue but it's the food suppliers it, it's just so many other people that are affected um and people like manuel i mean people that work in the kitchen it, it's just it, it's just a domino effect and it really has been devastating retail um uh, andrew um was hurting before the uh, pandemic came, as you know. Um, there's been a lot of uh, big box uh, bankruptcies, a lot of uh, uh, stores closing, um, and you know, with the with the pandemic, uh, a lot of uh, retailers had to close or were struggling to pay rent. So, um, yeah, that's going to be an ongoing concern. I would say hospitality and retail are the two 
um, the two sectors of commercial real estate that have been hammered the hardest uh, by the pandemic. I remember when you're saying the day the music died, I remember the summer there was major going on when Stephen Talkhouse in over in Amagansett, they were having they were having an event and they had all sorts of problems just because they had advertisement on the event and it became such an issue. And you're pointing out they were even limiting your ability to promote if you're having someone there. And so yeah. I thought what was so interesting about what you just said, though. And yeah, I agree completely about retail has been a downward spiral for a while, particularly with the big box as opposed to the small strip. But the pandemics really compounded the effect. But I thought the key that you said was the domino effect. And I think that's something people miss. They think when they see, hey, the restaurant closed, oh, the restaurateur is not doing well. And then they think to themselves, maybe the waitress isn't doing well. But you're pointing out the Manuel that's there or whoever else is there, the guy that's parking the cars. Forget the guy that's parking the guy, cars. The guy that's doing the parking lot repaving every year. When there's no cars, you don't need repaving. And this spiral yeah, it, effect. It, 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 please. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It really does affect a whole bunch of other people. You know, I watch a lot of stupid reality shows uh, when I'm not working, and one of them is Wicked Tuna, which is a show about uh, awesome. tuna fishing up in Gloucester, awesome. uh, Massachusetts. I don't know if you've seen it. It's oh, I knew here. I liked you. It's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Tell us. So. 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 And, and they just had their, their, their opening show for the season, and it was uh, about the COVID season. And, and the prices for the tuna that they catch are like a third of what they were a year ago because there was just no demand because there was no restaurants open. So, so they're hurting, too. So it just goes down the line. There's so many the food supplies. There's just so many people that get affected by this stuff. And, and, you know, that's where the unemployment numbers go higher. But also, it, it, just, it just makes people struggle. And it's, it's just a very, very difficult thing, which is why we really do need uh, help from the federal government. Um, they had Save Our Stages bill um, in, in, in the uh, Senate and the House um, that was going to help out some of these um, businesses. Because if you're going to tell businesses to close for safety reasons and health reasons, which is fine because, you know, you have a lot of people packed into a small place. And that's all well and good, but you've got to take care of these people. You, you know, preach you on. To, you, I'm you with know, you. Can't, you can't just wipe them. You can't just wipe them out and say, "Okay, you're out of business." That just doesn't work. They thought that somehow all these small businesses out there were the banks for all these people. Like you, you look at the mom and pop businesses. You look at the mom and pop landlords. All these people are holding the bag. And you mentioned the unemployment rates. Interesting, our head went to the same spot there. I was reading that the, uh, the they're telling us the effective unemployment rate is really closer to ten percent when you put in all these variables that no one's thinking about. And then you got everyone holding the bags. So you're thinking the intervention needs to come to, from the federal government. And I'm with you on that one. And I would hope the state does something too. But what can we do? Yep. What can we do in Long Island? Because Long Islanders, I think we have a certain pride. I always, I'm, I've been an Islander fan my whole life. And I always noticed that there was a difference when you would go to an Islander game versus a Ranger game. There was an energy about an Islander fan. There was an energy about a Long Islander. We are tougher. We are stronger. We're going to pull our way through, and we're going to be Long Island strong. So what is it, the message, as we're going to the spring? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like we're about to get out of this winter season. This, these restaurants are going to be able to have more outdoor seating again. We're going to see more develop going. What do we need to do as Long Islanders to support each other? What should we be doing? What should be our next step? And what I get, I guess I'm getting at is, isn't there opportunity everywhere? Isn't it? And Trump said this. I thought it was kind of smart when he said it. The rest, I'm paraphrasing. He said, the restaurant might close, but it's eventually going to reopen. Are you seeing opportunity for Long Islanders that are Long Island strong in hospitality and retail yet, where after the pandemic starts withering, they can reinvent our Long Island community? 
Well, I think that uh, individuals uh, on Long Island, just regular people, um, need to follow all the safety protocols. They need to be masked. Um, they need to stay socially distanced, regardless whether they can get a vaccine or not. And yes. I know that the vaccines are coming, and they're going to be they're going to be distributed a little more, uh, you know, frequently uh, and a little, you know, and a little greater into the population, and that's going to help. But you're not going to be able to shed those masks anytime soon, and you're really going to have to be careful when you go out. So. I think that's the best thing people could do is try to keep the infection rate down, try to keep the case rate down, um, try to keep as many people alive as possible because people are still dying by the by the thousands, you know, nationally from this. Um, you know, without people, you don't have customers for businesses. So, so you true. really have to uh, you, you really have to health is the, is the most important thing. So you have to focus on that. Now, other than health, a, a lot of Long Islanders have been pitching in. You know, they've been ordering takeout. They've been ordering delivery from their favorite local restaurants, which is keeping them alive. And so that's a good thing. Um, and I think as more and more businesses open, uh, you know, these, these event places and these, these, these music venues and, and, and some of these places that everybody used to go to all, of, all the time, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the customers will come back. I think that eventually things will turn around uh, and that um, things will get better. I think it's going to take longer than people think. Uh, I, I think that most of this year is, is pretty much written off. Uh, I, I think maybe towards the third quarter or fourth quarter, you might see a little bit return to normalcy. But it's going to be tough. You have all these new variants coming out, these new strains. You never know how the virus is going to mutate, so you really have to stay vigilant. But the most important thing is to stay healthy. And, and that's what I think regular individuals should concentrate on. And you said something so important about staying healthy, and I've been saying this on our show since the beginning of the pandemic. When I see someone without a mask on, beyond scared of my health, beyond scared for their health, I'm seeing them say to me, this is what I see them say, I want you to be out of business. That's what I see when I see someone maskless. Like, they're saying to me, or the nose sticking out, they're saying to me, I want the numbers to go up to 10% again, them to shut everything down, and you're going to be working from home. And it's the nicest thing. You know how they say shop local? One of the best thing you can do for your local community is, particularly when you go to a business, wear your mask. It's not so hard. Mm -hmm. And bank robbers have been trying to wear masks their entire life. Finally, we can be like the <laughs> bank robbers. But I want, I want to go back to what you said a second ago. You said maybe the third quarter, maybe the fourth quarter. This year's almost really written off. So here's what I want to do as an illustration, and maybe you can help me out. You got some money on the side. Somehow you got it from saving for years. You lost your job, whatever it is, but you still got some money, and you want to reinvent yourself. And you drive down the street, and you go down that retail, and you say to yourself, vacancy, vacancy, vacancy. You see the hospitality, the music venues closed, the hotels barely letting people in. You say to yourself, opportunity, I want to do this. Lauren was just telling me a story about these lawyers that couldn't make it as lawyers, and then they opened up a retail shop because that's what they're doing in the pandemic. Well, when half of downtowns are, are vacant, people see that as an opportunity to reinvent themselves. So, David, I look to you as the man with the finger on the trigger for Long Island commercial real estate. That's what you do. If I'm thinking about putting together a group of my friends and I want to go into the restaurant business, I want to go into the hospitality, whether, whether it be hotel, or I want to go into retail and open a store, when should I be targeting doing this? And I know no one has their finger on the trigger. You said that, yes, there. well, you do. But you said there is variance coming out. But in our best guess, should I be going for 2022? Is that when the opportunity is going to come? Is it the fourth quarter of 2021? When can I be part of the solution 
in reinventing Long Island? Well, you know, investment in business happens all the time. It's happened throughout the pandemic. It never stops happening. There's a lot of businesses that are thriving, uh, and it's because of the pandemic. You know, I, I'm going to be doing a story soon on uh, dogs, the dog business. Um, uh, there's, there's been so many increases in dog businesses, day, doggy daycare, uh, a, a doggy grooming services, because during the pandemic, there was like a 500% increase in dog ownership because people had to stay home uh, and they wanted companionship. So everybody either adopted a dog or bought a dog. So those businesses are thriving. Yeah, I heard there's like um, a two-year wait for like a golden doodle now. Well, there could, there could be, but, you know, all of that, all of those new dog owners need services. So they need people to watch their dog. They need people to wash their dog. They need people to sit for their dog. So all of these things present opportunities. So COVID did present a lot of opportunities I love this. for certain types of businesses. I'm not so sure about restaurants. Um, I think they'll always come back because people eat out on Long Island all the time. A lot of people don't cook at home anymore. Um, I think they'll be fine. The ones that could hold on, I think they'll, I think they'll bounce back. But I don't think there's a timing, Andrew, where, where you should say, hey, let me not start this business till next year. First of all, it takes months to start up a business. Yeah. So if you're thinking of doing it, you should probably start now. Start thinking now. And I think your point was very well taken. And I, I, I need to emphasize it. When there's a negative travesty, a pandemic, certain things go up and certain things go down. And you use the illustration of the dogs. If we're talking dogs, you should have started it yesterday if you want to go into the dog business. That's what I'm getting you say. Yep. And so it's all yep. dependent on the business you're interested in, not necessarily the timing of the real estate. So what people need to do is not take a one-size-fits-all approach to this pandemic and really think about the specific business that they're thinking about and how the pandemic affected it. And so what I'm getting, Lauren, and as soon as I get off the phone with David, we own a strip center and we have a few vacancies. I'm calling up the broker and saying, let's get a doggy daycare in there, man. Like, I think it's time to have a doggy daycare. Why can't we have a doggy daycare? Everyone needs one of these. Did you see the one in the Hamptons? There's one out in the Hamptons, Lauren, that is the, I don't, I don't forget, remember the real name. It's like the dog spa. It's like, yeah, it's like, Hampton Bays. yeah, you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. I always want to go there. I'm like, can I be a dog? Like, I want to go to the, the dog days of summer are coming. This is some good stuff. David, I also was listening to your Long Island Main Street Alliance stuff, and you were giving a real, real shout out, I thought, I, I really got this, that where we have a real opportunity for investors in real estate in Long Island is the multifamily segment. And what I was getting you guys saying was that we are still less than all the other suburbs, even though we're increasing. Is that a true statement? Are we thinking that if I wanted to invest today as a passive investor, meaning I'm not going to go into the business myself, is multifamily the one to go into? Well, the multifamily sector has done very, very well, even through the pandemic. You know, at, at, in the beginning of the pandemic, they thought it might be affected by um, rent payments being slow. But out on Long Island, they, they, that really didn't happen too much. I mean, there was some rent um, issues. But for the most part, occupancy remained very high. People need a place to live. So um, multifamily housing on Long Island is a, is a very good business. The problem with multifamily housing is there's a very high barrier to entry. Um, most of the development is happening around the train stations and downtown. Um, and it's just hard to assemble property um, to build that stuff. And so it, it is difficult. But the people that are um, you know, taking the risk and making the investment are doing well. Um, as I mentioned, uh, on that on that show, um, it's because it's such a high barrier to entry and so difficult to get something built on Long Island. Once you do build it, it's worth a lot more than other places. So lately, there's been multifamily properties that have sold for over five hundred thousand dollars a unit, 
um, you know, as a regular thing, which is unbelievable. I mean, you know, you're talking just a few years ago, it was around $300,000 a unit for, for, for newer multifamily um, uh, properties. Now it's up to $500,000 a unit. So they're very valuable once they do get built, and they're doing well. I loved what you said about the train stations. I remember back, I was the chair of the Bar Association for Real Estate for a number of years, and we had a meeting years ago when the Ronkonkoma Hub was an idea, They were, and we had the people from Islip and Ronkonkoma come down and talk to the Bar Association about it, and what they kept saying is the future of housing in Long Island is going to be around these train stations. That's what they kept saying. They said, you got to build up, not out, and you got to be around the train stations. I'm seeing a lot of these developments, multifamily, having multiple stories. Are they being impacted because now people are afraid to be on top of each other? Are, are we seeing a little push off of that, or is that still strong? So the only, the only thing that kind of slowed us down at, at all was that people didn't want to commute. It wasn't so much that, you know, you're on top of each other in an apartment building, because really, if you look at most Long Island multifamily developments, you're not right on top of each other. It's not like Manhattan. Um, you know, there, there is more room um, between the units, and it's it just they're not as dense. Um, so that's not so much the issue. Um, the issue is more that, you know, these are transit-oriented developments. So they're built around people commuting to the city or commuting back from the city um, and having a place to live that's you know, maybe a third the cost of having an apartment in Manhattan. But when people, when COVID hit, there was a lot less commuting. It was more working from ah. home, uh, working in satellite offices. So it, 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 it didn't, it wasn't front and center. But again, it takes years to develop this stuff. So the pandemic is just going to be a blip in that, um, even though it's, you know, it's lasting two years for us and, and, and we're, you know, we're struggling through it. It's just a blip in the commercial development um, arena. So, um, you know, it, those things are still good. Um, they're going to be very popular. Uh, people will be going back to the city again to work. Um, so, yeah, I think the future is very bright for multifamily. David, I just got to tell you, I'm so delighted that David Wenzelberg's on the line with us. He's able to give us the finger of the post of Long Island and the commercial real estate segment. And what I thought was interesting is the word blip. You said it's a blimp. It's just a, it's a blip, a blip on the screen these two years. And you used it for the development. But I think that's the story of this whole pandemic. And it ties in with your statement of being safe and how you started off by telling us about Manuel. If we can pull together as a Long Island community, if we can see the opportunity like the new dogs and see how the doggy daycare is the future, if we can see the opportunity of tomorrow, this will all be a blip. And someone like David Wenzelberg, you got to read him at Long Island Business News, is going to lead us to the future. This is the Leapcast. Have a great week. Find us on social media at Listen to Leap or visit listentoleap.com.